Well, today is the third Sunday of Lent, and Lent is this journey towards preparation for Easter, and it's a time of examining our hearts and preparing for the new life that we expect and we celebrate at Easter. The first week was about ash, and we noted that with Ash Wednesday when we're marked with ashes to remind us that we are mortal, that we won't be here forever. Um, And then last week we talked about burning and the necessary work of burning away the old in order to make way for new life. Today we'll look at, in part, the practice of tilling. I grew up on a farm in Iowa. Any other Iowans in? Okay, Miriam. Yes. Thank you. Almost. Every, every time someone says the word Iowa, I like cheer. Rex, you went to Drake, right? Yeah, that's in Iowa. Okay. Yeah? You went there? All right, sweet. Thank you. I'm so glad. But I get super excited and I'm super proud to be from Iowa. So it's cool that we're kind of talking about like farming because I grew up on a farm and I'm a farm kid and we did lots of stuff um, that really wasn't fun Um, But it made me who I am, and I think I'm better for it, and um, I'll stop there. But I don't have a ton of experience in the decision-making, and, you know, my dad didn't say, "Now, now we do this so that this will happen next and so that this will happen. So I had to read a little bit about tilling this week so I could figure out what it's about. But the reason that you till the ground is to bring up what's underneath. And you till it to break up the crust that's on top that's been covered by snow all winter. And it's, you know how the ground is crusty and if it's not a complete mud pit, it's crusty when you go to plant. And so you have to till it up. And part of that is making way for air to get in and for water to get in and for nutrients. And I actually learned that tilling and cultivating are two different things, but I'm going to mush them together because I'm speaking and I can do that but tilling goes down super deep into the ground and people till when they're going to put on a lot of fertilizer okay and so then the ground is ready to receive a lot of nutrients you do that in the fall cultivating which is what I am picturing today you do in the spring but they're both they're both necessary and they're both good things and connect with what we're talking about So also under the ground are roots that are hanging on from the previous season that you need to clear out of the way, and some of them have decomposed and have good stuff in them. Underneath is the stuff that needs to be brought up to the top, out in the open to receive the seeds. Farmers till the ground, as I said, to prepare it for fertilizer. There may be old roots hanging on that need to be cut away or weeds that need to be cut away. The plow does this work as well. In farming, after the field is plowed and the ground is broken apart, It's ready to receive this seed, which will slowly produce fruit. Do you see the metaphor here? Your heart, your soul is the ground, and it needs to be opened up. It needs to be ripped open. That's kind of gross to think about, and it's painful sometimes. The good that's been buried needs to be exposed and brought back to life. The crustiness needs to be opened up so that we can receive something new. The bad that still hangs on needs to be uprooted. The seeds that are being planted are seeds of new life, something something that needs to grow that hasn't grown before. Sometimes we don't, you know, there was good last season, but sometimes something new needs to be planted. In farming, usually, you would switch your crops. You would plant beans, soybeans in one field, 
at least where I'm from. You'd plant soybeans in one field, and the next year you would plant um, corn, and you would rotate it every other year so that the ground would continue to produce a good crop. And that's how it is with us. Sometimes we need, God needs to do something new in us. And it's not that what he did in us last year is bad. It's just that we got it and we need to move on to something new. I see God doing a new work in us that's refreshing. Um, during the season of Lent, we're holding a prayer gathering on Wednesday nights. And it, I came one week and it was so cool. And then we started doing childcare the second week. And it was just a really good time to pray and to be united for our church body. And this is a new good thing that we're doing. We're cutting away some of the things we've done in the past that are fun, like a fish fry. We're not doing that this year because we're tired and we need to really focus on praying. And it's been great. This is an example of the new work. This is what the passage in Luke is talking about that Caleb read, about the tree that isn't producing and it's wasting space that's important to the farmer. And the, and the landowner says, Dig, dig this out. It's not producing fruit. We need to get rid of it. But the gardener comes along, and he says, give it a year, and I'll pour everything I have into this tree. I'll refertilize it. I'll dig around its roots and give it new life. If it doesn't produce free fruits next year, then we can dig it up and start over. I feel like the gardener was saying the tree isn't the problem. The tree is good. It's the dirt around it that's not good. And sometimes I wonder if the dirt around our lives every day is what needs work. Sometimes we're filled up with stuff that we don't need to be filled up with. And that's the part that we need to scoop away and fill in with fertilizer, with good stuff, so that God's breath and um, nourishing waters can come and fill us. Um, in just a minute, we're going to read from Psalm 63, if you'd like to find that. But I want to give you a bit of context. This psalm um, was written by David, and it was most likely written while he was on the run from his own son, Absalom. Um, how terrifying would that be? Your son is fighting for your job, for the throne, for your life. That, that's terrifying. It would be heartbreaking, I think. But David's on the run, and he's in the wilderness. Um, Absalom was seeking the throne for himself. He had built up an army and was going after his father, and David had to flee Jerusalem, and this is where we find him. Um, so Psalm 63, if you would stand for the reading of the word. O God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water I have seen you in your sanctuary. You gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better to me than life itself. How I praise you. I will honor you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest of foods. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. I think of how much you have helped me. I sing for joy in the shadow of your protecting wings. I follow close behind you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you. During this time, David's heart was not dry. It was full of hope. He said, God, you are my God. He didn't say, God, you are one of my gods, or you are the biggest God. He said, God, you are my God. 
the one that I worship above all else in life. I wonder, is this true for you? Is it true for us? Is God the one that we worship, period? I know sometimes that's not true for me, and I wish it was. Sometimes what I, the way that, I can't even say it. Sometimes what gets in the way of me worshiping God is what other people think of me. And I try to put myself and do everything right, and that's more important to me than following God. Sometimes it's order and organization and control that are my gods. Those things get all of my attention sometimes. And I have to confess those and give everything, all of my actions to God. Maybe your God is something like that. Maybe it's something else. Maybe God is God only and always for you. If it is, that's awesome. Praise the Lord. But if it's not, we need to confess. God desires for us to trust only in him and to love him with everything that we have, with all of our hearts, our soul, our mind, our strength, our entire being. When we love God this way, it'll be the dominating force in our life. Everything else will flow from this love for God. David goes on in the psalm, I desire you. We go after the things we desire. God des- David desired God and sought after him. He wanted to know God. He went after him to know God more. David said, I'm thirsty for you. Now, I think it's interesting, especially as my mouth is super dry, that David did not ask for water. He didn't ask for God to save him in this psalm. Maybe we don't have the whole conversation here. I didn't do a ton of research because I didn't have a ton of time to prepare this week, but maybe there's the rest of the conversation somewhere else. But in this psalm, in Psalm 63, David says, I am thirsty for you, God. He's not thirsty for water. He's not hungry for food. He recognizes that God is those things for him. That's just super cool. (laughs) David goes on to say, I've seen you, God, and have observed your power and your glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. This love of God, which goes before us and behind us and over us and overwhelms every aspect of our lives, is enough for David. He's seen it, and it satisfies him. He says, your love is better than life itself. The love of God is better than breathing in and out, than whatever your favorite thing is. The love of God is better than that. David says, you satisfy me, God. I think of you day and night. When he woke up in the night, he thought of God. God was the one who satisfied David's needs and desires. He says, I remember how you have helped me. I follow right behind you under your protection. This is a beautiful image of David walking along as the child. I know many of us have kids in this room or remember being a kid maybe. And when you went to a crowded store or a downtown days or something like that, you hold on to your parent's hand. Or if you're a parent, you hold on to your kid's hand so they don't get lost. And you have them walk right beside you so they they don't get nabbed or lost or sidetracked by something. That's what we are with God. God is our Father, and he is holding us and holding our hand and helping us to walk alongside him and walk under the protection of his wings or his umbrella, the protection of his shadow, sheltering us from whatever it is that life throws at us. This is how David saw God. I think he could be satisfied by God and could trust him because of what he stated in verse 2. 
David remembers seeing the glory of God. I think remembering is a big part of our faith. Several years ago, I started keeping a prayer journal, and it helps me remember. And I don't look back often, but I recently did. Um, and I, as I was flipping through the pages that I'd written, you know, seven years ago, I was reminded of the ways that we had hurt as a family and as a church. And I remembered crying out to God and writing my words, God help us, there's no way out of this. And we came out of it. And so today, whatever it is that you're struggling with, whatever is on your doorstep, God's there with you. He's proven himself faithful in the past, and he will do it again. Under your chairs on the end, there on the like insides, there's some uh, cards. I'm, um, well, I just told you, I have a prayer journal. I write things down because I forget them. Um, I, I had to write down um, about a, a month and a half ago, make Ace's birthday cake, because it was his birthday, and I wasn't going to remember to make a cake and to buy the stuff at the store if I didn't write it down. So I I'm, always have to write things down. So I wonder if there's something that you could write down, some way that God has come beside you in the past. It can be, um, you know, something obvious, something personal. Um, I remember times when we didn't have enough money and God provided for us. I remember times when uh, we were hurt by friends and God provided and built those relationships back up. Whatever it is that you want to write down, this is for you. You don't have to write anything. But it can help you um, to remember the way that God has come beside you and walked with you so that when you're facing whatever it is, you can have faith that God will still be there. I think of our congregation. I'll get there in a sec. I skipped over something really important. So when I look at the Old Testament, and maybe you're like me, I read the Old Testament and I'm constantly like so annoyed that the Israelites didn't get it. They're always forgetting. They, um, so go back with me. They're slaves in Egypt. God sets them free. God helps them cross the Red Sea. They go to the promised land and send spies in, and they come back and they say, oh, no, we can't do this. These people are too big. We're going to stay here. Really? Like, they were slaves. God sent all these plagues. Pharaoh said, okay, they can go. They escaped. They get to the Red Sea. The Egyptians are coming after them because they um, didn't realize that they were leaving for good, and they changed their mind. So they're coming after them. They're at this body of water, and there's like, how many people are they? A, a million? A lot. It's a whole city worth of people, a whole nation. They're at this body of water. They don't have rafts. They don't have time to come up with a plan. Moses goes and stands before the water, and God splits the water. And they walk through, not through mud. They're not trudging through. They walk through on dry ground. Okay, do you see this picture? Do you see how miraculous this is? It's incredible. You seem that you don't know. <laughs> you don't get how cool this is. It's incredible, okay? I don't know how it happened, but God had it happen, and it's amazing. So this happens. Then the Egyptians come, and they are swallowed up by the water, right? So the Israelites are over here. They're free. They're ready to go into the promised land. And they send out spies to look around and to gauge, you know, where they should go and who they should fight first or whatever. And 
this, they come back and they say, um, no, we can't do this. This is too much. Why were they scared? God had just done all of this stuff, and now they're scared. Why? Did they forget? I don't think so. I mean, don't you think one person would have remembered? Well, actually, two. Caleb, Caleb remembered. They did in Joshua, right? Um, a couple people remembered, but everyone didn't remember. They'd either forgotten or they thought their luck was up. Maybe that was it. Maybe they thought, okay, God did all this stuff for us, but we can't, we can't come into this land that God said he would give us because there's all of these adversaries there. I don't think God can do it. But the thing that they missed was that God had promised that. And if he makes a promise to you, he will do it. God who called you is faithful, and he will do it, whatever that promise is. Are we scared? Have we forgotten? Now, I think of our congregation. Um, however many years ago, we were paying almost $14,000 a month for our mortgage for our building at Libby Lane. It was impossible. We couldn't get out from under it. We couldn't um, refinance around it. We finally decided to sell the building, and the exact amount of money we needed was enough to, left over after we paid off the debt to buy this property. That's amazing. God did it for us then. Don't you think that he can fix our parking lot now? Don't you think so? Um, several years ago, I met with a group of ladies early on Monday mornings, and we would pray in the prayer room, and we prayed for our church and our pastors and our families, and we were praying for one, uh, one lady's adult son who was married and had children, and he had walked away from God. And we prayed every single week for him. And other people all around the city were praying for him. And he just kept going further away from God. And you know what? Eventually he came back. And he is following God now. His wife is a pastor. He's leading his family in faith now. Praise God. Don't you think that the God who did that can take my brother and bring him back to God? Or whoever it is in your life that's not following God, don't you think he can bring them back? I do. Let's not forget what God has done. Are we afraid our luck will run out? God doesn't want us to live in fear. He wants us to be full of trust in him and full of hope that the one who called us is faithful, and he is. Now, I understand that God doesn't always answer our prayers the way we want him to, and I know that's hard. However, he is faithful to love us and to walk with us through those difficulties and to help bring us out of them. And that's what we need to trust. In this psalm, David remembered God's faithfulness. He'd been on the run before. Saul had tried to kill him multiple times before he came to the throne that God had anointed him for. He'd sinned greatly with Bathsheba. He went so far as to have her husband killed so that he could be with her. And God still redeemed him and brought him back after he repented of his sin. David had been in trouble innocently, and he'd been in trouble at his own hand, and God still brought him back to him. He remembered that God had helped him when he was on the run and believed that he would do it again in Psalm 63. And God did. He brought David victory and placed him back on the throne. Remembering helps us to have faith that God is with us, and it's one thing to read about God's faithfulness in our Bible, or to read about God's faithfulness to people that came before us. It's another thing to remember our story and God's faithfulness to us personally 
and it's powerful. So I encourage you to remember the ways that God has brought you through, the ways that God has been faithful to you. Before we close, um, I'd like to read Isaiah 55. And then we're going to sing a song that's largely from this chapter. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink, even if you have no money. Come, take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen, and I will tell you where to get food that is good for the soul. Isaiah's saying, come. If you're hungry, if you're thirsty, all of this is free. All that God offers us is free. We don't have to pay for anything. We don't have to give God anything other than ourselves. We don't have to do all the right things in order to receive what God has for us. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen, for the life of your soul is at stake. I am ready to make an everlasting covenant with you, and I will give you mercies and unfailing love that I promised David. Listen to God. He will tell you, he will tell you what kind of food you need to nourish your soul. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Let the people turn from their wicked deeds. And then in verse 8, My thoughts are completely different from yours, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Did you hear that? God doesn't think like we think. Someone does something that annoys us, and we say, oh, this is what we need to do to them, or we should cut them out. God doesn't think like that. We see um, uh, finances. God doesn't think like that. God sees all of the earth and all of creation and all of us beautiful humans as his treasured possession. There's not one that is junk. There's not one that is too far away from him. We are all God's possession. That's how he thinks. He doesn't think like us. Man, our thinking is just so messed up sometimes. But that's not how God thinks. His ways are beyond our ways. It's beyond what we can imagine. So when we pray for something, and maybe we're even afraid to pray for something because we are sure that God will not do that for us. We are sure. That's not how God thinks at all. He can bring things from the dust heap from the garbage pail and bring them back to life and not just like kind of getting by but to full and refreshing life that's bubbling over with life that's what god can do for us so i wonder if we can close maybe a different way and i don't really know how to do this but these words reminded me of a song all who are thirsty all who are weak come to the fountain Dip your hearts in the stream of God's life. We can't imagine a life without anger, but God does. We can't imagine a life where we don't worry, <laughs> but God does. Maybe we can't, maybe we can't. Whatever is deep in your heart that you can't even say out loud, God doesn't think of it the same way that we do. So in this time, I didn't have time to, for
for the band to learn this song. So we're going to um, sing along with a, the a recording of it, and the words will be on the screen. But you can sing, you can kneel and pray, you can come to the altar, you can sit in your chair, you can grab a friend to pray with you. But would you come, prepare your hearts for God as you're thirsty, as you're dry and hungry, instead of trying to fill yourself up with what the world says you need, or instead of trying to fill yourself up with things that distract you from what the truth is, would you fill yourself up with God? Can you do that? Let's sing this. Let's pray. God, God, we thank you. We thank you for newness in our life. We thank you for cutting away the old. We thank you for filling us with your spirit when we're thirsty and when we're hungry for for direction and for nourishment, God. Would you fill us? Take away the things that block, that are blocks in our lives, the things that prevent us from worshiping you, from listening to you, the things that prevent us from serving you. God, we want to be yours only. Make us new. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen.